Welcome to the Woe Podcast about horses and horsemanship, where we get to talk all things horse. We're your hosts. I'm Renee Hare. And I'm John Hare. Thanks for listening and sharing our horsemanship journey. On today's show, we have a very special treat. There's a little bit of a backstory on this. As many of you who've been following the show know, I, I came late to horses. I didn't get my first horse until I was 51 years old. And as a result of uh, studying horsemanship and doing the podcast, I had an opportunity to start a horse in 2015. And from that, I actually got to go on a ranch and work with some cowboys in the branding and gathering of cows and quickly learned that I didn't know what that lifestyle entailed and didn't know any of the etiquette or the the things that you needed to do. As a consequence, I kind of got immersed in the cowboy culture, reading a couple of books from Ben Green the and Faye Wards and The Last of the Old Time Cowboys and fell in love with the way that cowboys work on ranches. And many of the old time cowboys had some really great stories. In doing more research, I found Bill Mooney on Facebook, Bill Buckarood in the Great Basin from 1971 to 76, I believe. And he worked for the Circle A, the Spanish Ranch, and he's written a couple of, they're not, are they stories, Renee? Uh, they're, he's written. Maybe a, almost an essay. essay. Yeah. He, written, he would call them stories. He'd call them stories, but, the, and they are just, there are things that happened to him while he was buckarooing that really shed some interesting light on on the way of life that was on the ranch. So I contacted Bill and asked him if he would uh, join us on the show to tell a couple of his stories and talk about his life as a buckaroo, and he graciously agreed. We set up an interview time, and we had just the most fun talking with him about his life buckarooing. It was a lot of fun, and we have to thank his wife, Aileen, for encouraging him to do the, the show. Yes, and so without further ado, here's Bill Mooney on the Woe Podcast. We're speaking today with Bill Mooney, over-the-hill ex-buckaroo. From Spring Creek, Nevada. How you doing this morning, Bill? Oh, I'm doing great. How are you? We're doing well. <laughs> Thanks for joining us on the Woe Podcast. You've got some great stories that are circulating around the internet, and I've really enjoyed reading about the history of your life as a buckaroo in the Great Basin of Nevada. And you tell some great stories. But one of the things that I couldn't find is how you grew up and maybe and how you ended up in the Circle A, which is one of the biggest ranches out there. Could you give us a little bit of background? Sure. My parents were from Boston. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> they didn't know the first thing about a horse. And then uh, my father was in World War II, and they were living down in Texas. And after the war, we moved to Albuquerque, New Mexico. I was just a little kid, like five years old, maybe. Wow. And we were supposed to, the, then the Navy hired him as a civilian, and we were supposed to go to Kwajalein Island, but they changed those orders and sent him to Las Vegas, Nevada. <laughs> well, I was about six then. And then when I was all oh, about nine or ten, the neighborhood we lived in, there was a uh, kind of a tourist 
recreation place called Twin Lakes, and there was a horse stable there, and they had about 50 horses, and they would tie those horses up to a hitching rail, and then uh, I would go along with a wheelbarrow and shovel, and I'd pick up the manure, and then they'd let me ride a horse on Saturday night. Of course, it was Saturday night, so I was supposed to ride for an hour. It was usually cut down to about a half hour. But as a kid, you know, I loved it. I thought it was great. Right. But I was too little. In order to brush the horses, I'd have to get a wooden box and stand <laughs> up on it. And then the, I could handle the little kid saddles, but the big saddles were too heavy for me. And, and that's how I got going. And then my father was transferred up to uh, Carson City, Nevada, in the public Public Services Commission, and my mother became, uh, at that time, Grant Sawyer, Governor Grant Sawyer's secretary. Hmm. So then I went out and worked on the 102 Ranch, which is on I-80, east of Sparks and Reno. And uh, Mansfield was big into endurance rides, 100 miles in one day. And then when I was 15, 16, and 22, I made three of the, successfully made three of those rides. What kind of horses were you riding on those big, long rides? Well, your champion horses are your Arabs, but mm-hmm. we weren't. In, we didn't have any full-blooded Arabs. The first one I had, believe it or not, was a uh, half pony, and <laughs> who knows, kind of a grade horse. Most, they had quarter horse in them, and Mansfield used to like to say they had the Arab in them. Mm-hmm. The Mansfield family at that time was they had the most completion of that ride of anybody. I don't know if that. Oh, wow. Still holds true today or not. Is that the Tevis Cup? That's the Tevis Cup, yes. Wow, so you did that as a kid. But yeah, before you were even 18 years old. Well, 15, 16, and then I did one out of the Army. I was 21, I think. Wow. Now, you had to be out of riding shape if you'd been in the Army. How was 100 miles after? Oh, it was nothing. You know, I was young. I got out of the Army when I was 20, so... I just went back to the ranch and just just started riding. Just you know, picked it up, young yeah. body it doesn't, doesn't mean much to you. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> Matters more as you get older, huh? <laughs> yes, yes. So there, Mansfield had two sons, Pinky and Butch, and they'd been up. Pinky had been on the Circle A, and Butch had been up Cowboy and in in Gerlach, which is out of Reno, north of Reno. And so then they told me one day, you're asking questions that we can't answer. What you need to do is go up to Elko County for a year. And so I didn't make it to Elko County at that time. I landed at the Circle A where Pink was as a, a high school kid when he was 16. Hmm. And that's where I ran into Brian Morris. He was the boss. You were pretty green then. How did you? Oh, uh, terrible green. I was 20 years old, but I was green. I didn't even know what a dry cow was. <laughs> And for your listening audience, a dry cow is a cow that doesn't have a calf. A wet cow is a cow that a calf is sucking on. So, yeah, I could ride with them, and I could rope on the ground, but I didn't know how to rope horseback or handle the rope. <laughs> and, of course, Slickhorns and Dally, and that, that was uh, probably on my right hand. The four knuckles on my right hand would always be bleeding. Because I didn't have a good saddle. You know, I wasn't set up. Brian told me years later he would have never hired me if he'd have been there. So he was hurt, and he was in the hospital. Uh-huh. They needed they needed somebody to fill a hole, so I happened to show up, and out I went. I just had to work harder than anybody else because I knew I couldn't compete with them, so I had to outwork them. And were they pretty open to teaching you the ways of the buckaroo? For the most part, yeah. For the most part, we got along pretty good. You know, I wasn't a smart aleck around them. 
And uh, so, yeah, th- yeah, they were pretty good about it that way because they knew I would work and they knew I was willing to learn. Uh-huh. And that holds true today, you know. The kid goes out there and he's willing to work and he's willing to learn. Somebody's going to pick him up. Mm-hmm. And all those outfits back then, they used wagons to work the ranches. Right, yeah. The beauty of the wagon is, see, you pull the wagon out and you work this country. And then you move the wagon over to the next camp and then work the country again. You know, that country. You know, just take like about a five-mile radius from where your camp is. Mm-hmm. And just move your wagon again. Mm-hmm. And today, uh, horse trailers. You know, different guys will tell you what's the biggest change. Well, Dave Weaver, who's a, a, you know one of the top guys out there, he told me one time that he said, you know, if you get back on these ranches, Bill, you're going to find out that uh, the cookhouse is gone. When you were there, it was the pickup, but now the cookhouse is gone. Well, lo and behold, not only is the cookhouse disappearing, but the company horses are disappearing. The cowboys have to furnish their own horses now. And then I went out on the uh, with the Gamble Ranch at the Wine Cup and the Sea Punch last year and this year both, and... I found that the biggest change is the horse trailer. They trailer everywhere now. They don't have to make that ride out from the ranch or from the camp. They just right. tra- and yeah. the ride. That's what I really like these pickups. Yeah, you hit the end of the day, that pickup looks pretty good to me now. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. We've seen them around town. Even we have some cattle operations here, and you'll you'll see a stock trailer pull up, and out come six, seven saddled horses. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And you can tell the difference between the, the ranch cowboy's horse trailer and your uh, arena rodeo oh, cowboy's heck yeah. trailer. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, the ranch guy is his, those pipe trailers, maybe a canvas over the top, and that's it. Right. They can take the beating out in the brush, and then there's, <laughs> they're made out of steel so you can weld on them. Yeah. yeah, they look pretty beat up most of the time. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. But I wrote a little article one time. I forget what it was. It wasn't an actual story. It was a Facebook thing about the pipe trailers. You know, if you go to a gas station, you'll see this pickup, beat up pickup in a a pipe trailer there. You'll think, well, who's that poor starving fool? But then if you look in that trailer, there's $4,500 saddles. (laughs) <laughs> Three, four hundred dollar silver bits, you know, and nice horses that'll go into the thousands. So, yeah. you know, you can't judge a book by its cover. And when you were out on those wagons, I mean, you'd be away from ranch headquarters for. Oh, absolutely. For months, sure. then, right? Yeah. Yeah. And at that time, you know, I preferred the wagons over the ranch. The ranch, you know, there's always people around and, we're, you know, there, there, there's jealousy out there. You know, the cowboys, the buckaroos, well, they're, you know, they're the prima donnas and they do this and they don't do this, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. So being out in the brush, it was just us. And how many guys would be out there? Well, it depended. On the Spanish ranch, Kane would like to go out, Bill Kane was the boss, he would like to go out with 10 or 12. But it only stayed out for about six or seven weeks. Now, the Circle A would go out in March, and it would stay all the way till Thanksgiving. Oh, wow. Sometimes it would be down to five guys. Wow. <laughs> getting cowboys in those days was just as tough as getting them today. I think the difference is you would see more older guys on those wagons, where now it's pretty much a young man's game. And there's something I'd like to say, if, if I could. Yeah, please. 
I read on Facebook where there's no riding jobs anymore. The day of the buckaroo is gone. Well, that's not the case at all. Right here in Elko, where I live, there's, oh, golly, there's still wagons, and they are always looking for help. The jobs are there. They're having trouble finding people that can fill those jobs. Because once you go out on those big outfits, practice is over. You have to you have to show up and play, huh? Got to show up and and, and get involved. Yeah, there's yeah. no showers every night, and forget about your cell phone and you know the internet and all that. It's time to go to work, boys. Now you furnish your own horses. Most of the places, there's a few that still furnish company horses, but you have to shoe them, and you know that's the name of the. And they ride hard. They ride hard as hard today as we ever did back then, and they rope more. They roping better. How many horses would you need to go out on? Uh, at that, when I was out there, it was six or seven horses. And oh, when wow. they advertise for a cowboy, they're looking for five or six at least. Okay. Wow. And there's advantages to it because now you're riding horses that you know. Right, right. You're using your own horses and putting in some of those killer days. Bill, one of the things that we read about was that you could name 131 horses by sight. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's amazing. Oh, yeah. But and, but then it got us thinking, you know, how everybody is always interested in kind of wreck stories and bad things that maybe go wrong and or maybe go right. Did you have one horse, an exceptional horse, that got you out of a jam? That got me out of a jam? Uh, or got you into a jam. <laughs> oh, yeah. There's a, there's a story <laughs> I wrote about a horse called Calico, a bridle horse. Or no, excuse me, Caliente, a bridle horse. Caliente. And I'll post that in a couple of months. And I bragged him up what a nice horse he was. <laughs> and I was up in some steep, rocky country, and I stepped off him, and he kicked me in the left knee and dropped me like a... Oh, kind of, no. <laughs> Ouch. And then I go, through the, I go through my thought press, how my leg is broken, how am I going to get out of here, and... It'll be dark before they find me, and don't turn Cali any loose. You know, use him so they'll spot him because they won't see me laying there in the ground, and they'll never get a helicopter into me. And how are they going to get me out of here? And you know, mm-hmm. turned out my leg wasn't broke, so I got up and I whacked him right in the eye. <laughs> <laughs> got back on. <laughs> oh yeah, I rode out of there. Kane was down at the bottom waiting for me. He said, where you been? What took you so long? And I said, Callie, kicked me. <laughs> Why do you do that? And I said, I don't know. Then it turns out, uh, oh, about a month ago, I was talking to Clark Morris, Brian's younger brother. And Clark is quite a cowboy in, in his day. And so we were talking about those old cavy horses, the company horses, and telling stories and I mentioned Caliani, and I said, Clark, you know, to this day, I don't know why he kicked me. And he says, oh, I know why he kicked you, Bill. I'll tell you exactly why he kicked you. You were handy. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I guess that's as good an explanation as any. You talked about the, the need for cowboys today. Are there guys that are like Kane still around? Who are the oh, cowboys? absolutely. You bet. You bet. All the cow bosses are that way. Those guys sound yeah. like a, interesting characters. Oh, yeah. You know, and, and uh, most of them are married. But no, those guys, there's no graduate degree. They, they earn their spurs. Most of them started as kids, you know, ranch race, and they worked their way up. 
But yeah, these are good cowboys. And, you know, there's something I'd like to say. You know, if there's a young cowboy out there listening to this, yeah, if you can get on with one of these outfits, you know, and you want to learn, you know, like I said, honesty and hard work. And, and, you know, you're going to learn because that's all they do. That's all they do is ride and rope. So it's still out there, but but nobody seems to understand that. But like I say, it, it's not going to be like what you read on Facebook. It's Yes, one of the articles that, that your stories had you guys riding something like 320 days out of the year or something well, like that. Well, yeah, that was, that was me. That was just a guesstimate. Uh-huh. But that's all we did. We rode. And that's, that's what continues to amaze me is today's recreational rider, they go on a two-hour uh, trail ride and the horse never breaks a sweat and they go oh my my poor fluffy is uh, he's <laughs> yeah. he's exhausted you... yeah <laughs> well see that's why the brush cowboy rides mostly at a trot right a trot will get you to where you want to go and then when you get there you're going to have horse left to do the job so that's the that's yeah. the predominant mode of travel where speed is, is the trot. And you post, just like you see English riders. Right. Yeah, the Cowboys post. That's the name of the game. And would you be training those horses on the on the job training? Would they be getting that? Would you start them in the Hackamore and then move them to the two-rain, or did you keep in them? In this most- country, it's mostly the snaffle bit. Mm-hmm. Now, they get started at the ranch. Now, like at the Spanish ranch, we called the Broncos. They were five or six years old when they were started. And then, uh, like, I started four, I got four on a Monday. The next Monday, I had four more. So, you know, you didn't spend much time with them. <laughs> then they went into the cavy, and they were handed out to the cowboys. And then they were only used on easy days. People think that when a horse is five or six years old, he's mature and he can take the hard rides. Well, he's mature. But but he doesn't know how to pace himself. He can't take those hard rides. Right. So on those Broncos on the ranch, we'd only ride, ride them for half a day. Now, we'd take them out on the wagon with us. You know, they'd be in part of the cavy by then. And they'd go on the wagon, but they wouldn't get in on those big circles. Just mm-hmm. an easy day. Like, if we're going to turn some bulls out, we'll ride a Bronco today. Mm-hmm. Hey, we have an easy day. You know, you, you ride a Bronco today. There's a... Uh, well, it's coming up this Friday, Spanish Ranch Part 3. You'll, you'll want to read this one because this one, I talk about mule. You'll get a kick out of mule. Okay. <laughs> but uh, like one day, I was the leadoff man, which means I was supposed to be on the outside circle. Kane take the other side of the circle. But I had a, he said, if you got a young horse today, ride him because we have this easy dirt road. And I'll just put you in the middle and you just trail those cattle up. And that's what we did. And then in the, in the story, I'll talk about the wreck that we had. But, <laughs> but yeah, those young horses, you know, they're young horses. Just like you can't put a high school kid into an NFL game. Right, yeah. Yeah, well, you don't want to do that with those younger horses. Now, see, the horsemanship today is so much better. And, and this goes, I give credit to the clinicians. Mm-hmm. These clinicians, they they came up through the ranks. And they figured it out, and they were taught, you know. And, and uh, like now, they'll talk about starting these horses when they're a lot younger, two years old. Mm-hmm. And then of course, there's big, uh, you know, there's two sides to that story: the bones aren't developed, so on and so forth. But they'll take time with those horses and ride them easy. Right. 
And so the horse gets first priority. If they go out there to bring the milk cow in, they're following that milk cow and the horse does something, they'll, they'll work on that horse and get him to do it the right way. Well, here in this country, the cow is number one. Your work comes mm. first. So you, you take what horse, you, you know, hopefully you have the right horse and where you go, but you get the job done. Train your yeah. horse later. And here's a good example of that. Last summer on the uh, wine cup, I was on the gamble side of it, the gamble wagon. Jake Brown was the cow boss of the whole outfit, and then Mark Lundy was the leadoff man at the gamble. So we trailered out one morning. There was a big horse there that came out of Wyoming, and the cowboy had a hard time getting his bridle on him. So everybody went over there to help him, and they are going to do all this horse training stuff and put their hand on top of his head, pressure, this and that. And Jake says, all right, hobble him. Put your bridle on him and let's go. I'm tired of waiting. You can train on him when you get back to camp. <laughs> that's the way it was. We had work to do. <laughs> and that's just the way it was. You just had to get that job done. You were out there to work those cows and get, because you had, you were branding and doctoring cows out in that open country. Yeah. And those those places, the Circle A and um, the Spanish Ranch, those were a million acres. How, how did you find your way around? There's, a, there's no GPS coordinates there. Oh, no, there was none of that. The Circle A was a little over two million. Oh, my goodness. And then uh, the Allison, uh, which is the Spanish Ranch, is the headquarters of the Allison Company. So there's seven ranches on Allison. And Allison at that time was about a million and a half. You just learn the country, you know, just like you, you, you're in California, right? Right, right. Well, you know all the towns around you for about 50 miles. You know the back roads, how to get there and do that. Same thing. You just get out there and get amongst them. But I, I've gone out on a couple of gathers and kind of been ex, uh, assigned my little draw that I would go down and the guys would be circling around. Right. And, I'm like I'm sitting up there on on my horse looking around, going, okay, well, how long do I wait before I start right. going, you know, going <laughs> down? And you know, I kind of knew the general direction I was going, but yeah, there's a lot of unspoken communication between cowboys. <laughs> I found out. Oh yeah, and the thing I found out, you know, I started on the Circle A. I would always be in the middle, see, because I was the green guy. So there was somebody off to my left, and there was somebody off to my right, and I'd go along for an hour, and I never saw any dust. I never heard any yelling. I didn't know. <laughs> so I'm thinking, I'm going the wrong way. <laughs> so now, you know, I'm starting to get worried about this, and all of a sudden, you hear a guy whoop on the left. And five minutes later, you see some dust on the right while it's coming together. There you go. <laughs> well, that's what I found. Is just just keep hanging in there. You're, you might be lost, but probably you're not. Just keep hanging in there. Eventually, this circle is going to close. And don't tell anybody about it. <laughs> don't tell anyone you were worried. Huh? Don't tell anybody. No, no. <laughs> I was reading one of the old uh, folklore books, and they were talking about uh, stampedes. Did you ever have a stampede? The only time that happened was at the Circle A. We had gathered a bunch of cattle. We, I don't know, noses. Now, when I say nose, that means cows, bulls, calves, you know, everything. Okay. We had over 2,000 noses, and it was in the fall, in the morning, and we started them. 
we went about, oh, I don't know, about three-quarters of a mile or so, and those cattle turned back, running back towards uh, the field that we took them out of, and we were at a high at a high gallop. So all I was saying was, don't fall down, horse. And then I got down <laughs> to the gate, and, and I stopped, and then, the, you know, there was a fence there, and then all those cattle stopped. But that's the only time I can remember, you know, be in front of the cattle where something could go wrong. Now, right. there's lots of time they clean you, but usually you're out trying to swing around them, you know, to turn them. Uh-huh. And uh, you're crashing through that brush 100 miles an hour, hit a badger hole, you're going down. Mm-hmm. That's, you know, part of the deal. The cowboys of well, the pretty much cowboys everywhere, they, they always think that the grass is always greener on the other side, and they, they move around a lot from ranches to ranch. Right, and, it, it's a, yeah. Yeah, they're always moving. That's just the nature of the beast. Would you get cowboys from from Texas and Oregon, and would you swap techniques, or you know, where was one style of cowboy and a little bit different than the other? And oh, completely different. When you get like when you get those southwestern guys, completely different. And then uh, go up north, Montana and Wyoming. Yeah, this Nevada style was kind of pretty much like the California style. Mm-hmm. You know, as far as the horses and the roping and stuff. But yeah, when I started at the Circle A, this is in the early 70s, I wasn't really aware of this buckaroo style. Long ropes, slick horns, six-inch stirrups, single rigs, spade bits, hackamores, this kind of stuff. But that was the style here. Well, of course, Everybody knew about Texas and Montana, and that was the most popular style in America, the style of saddle and bridles and the way they roped and handled their cattle and horses. Well, then over the years, now it's this buckaroo style is just everywhere. Mm-hmm. I yeah, mean, there's a big resurgence. And, uh, I mean, everybody has a silver bit and a 80-footer he had a rope and <laughs> tapaderos and a flat-brimmed hat. It's kind of become a fashion show, and I have no problem with that. <laughs> yeah. Most people want to spend their money, and, you know, what is it? The greatest form of flattery is imitation. Imitation, or yeah. <laughs> and I have no problem with that. You know, people want to dress up and get out and ride. Their, at least we're riding their horses and doing something. Yeah, right. really. And they get together and have their clubs and, you know, more power to them. If they're happy, I'm happy. <laughs> like I say, at least they're doing something with their horses. And then they'll take it from there. They'll go to these clinics and improve on their horsemanship, go to a roping clinic, you know, and learn how to handle cattle and handle their rope, and yeah. that's the way it is. Yeah, and I think I remember reading something about when you, uh, was it on the Circle A where you went out and uh, got yourself a, was it a Malloy saddle for 400 bucks and your, your salary was $250 a month? And... Right, yeah. Yeah, see, I uh, I knew I needed a saddle. And Brian said, well, there's a good saddle right there where you're from, Reno, Bill Malloy. I said, okay. So I went down there and custom-made saddle, $400. Now a custom-made saddle like that, it cost me 4500 That's what I, yeah. yeah. So not a bad deal. <laughs> And you use that saddle on every every horse in your street. Oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah. See, in those days, I was poor. <laughs> I had a custom made saddle. I had one last rope. I had a snaffle bit, a half reed bridle, and a hackamore. That was it. 
traveling light. <laughs> that weren't very good, but that was it. I mean, I didn't. Now I have nice stuff, but of course, you know, I can afford it now. A lot of that stuff was gifted to me too. Right. And how much do you ride today? Not a whole lot. Not a whole lot. Now, uh, if I go out cowboying, you know, like the last few times I went out, I'd go out for a month at a time, and that's too much. I don't want to go that. I don't want to ride that hard anymore. I'll uh, I'll be 69 here October 8th. I'm not old by any means, but, you know, it's tough to keep up with those young guys, especially on the ground. I can't run to the calves. It's tough for me to tail those big calves down. It's tough for me to hold them down. Yeah. You know, it's like I say, I'm over the hill. I, you know. <laughs> well, that's physical animal. work. But I yeah. tell them is I'm not much, but I'm better than nothing. <laughs> I thought they'd have you up on the horse doing the roping. Oh, you you do that too, but, you know, there's time to switch. (laughs) You can't hog that spot all day. Oh, no. And I get tired roping too, you know. (laughs) It's all hard work. (laughs) Oh, yeah, it can be. Then do you ride uh, your own horses when you go out? Yes, yes, yeah. We only have two horses, and uh, so those guys really were good to me, you know. They'd give me the easy part of the circle or take the horse trailer and the pickup and meet them and stop the cattle and stuff. Yeah, those guys really treated me good, and I appreciate what they do for me. That sounds like it's fun that you can get out and still do that stuff. Yeah, that is that is good. You know, it's nice to get out there amongst them because, you know, even at my age, I can always learn something from these guys, and they're good. These cowboys today are good. Don't let anybody tell you there's, they're not. They are good. Do they have all the loops that you threw when, uh, when they were working? More. More. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, see, that's the beauty of this technology and this buckaroo thing that's going around now, these clinicians. Yeah, these guys are throwing loops that I'd never seen before. Wow. And uh, like I said, Clark Morris and I are about the only ones that will agree on this. Today's cowboy's riding better horses than he's making better horses. Yeah. A lot of people want to go, oh, no, you got to be 80 years old and honest English speaking to be a good horseman. <laughs> huh. When you were learning those, to throw those uh, loops on the ranch on a working daily basis, I mean, you didn't have time to practice. Did you had to just learn that on the job? Well, in my case, I learned as a kid at the Twin Lake Stables. Uh-huh. And then when I was in high school, you know, all the kids go out there and shoot baskets or play ball. Well, a lot of times I was roping a fence post. And I didn't know it, but I learned how to swing the rope horizontally over my head. And by pure accident, I learned how to swing it vertically off to my side. Then I could throw the hula hand and reverse loops and stuff like that. So I learned all that on the ground. And, yeah, I see now with these cowboys now, there's always a roping dummy at the camp or at the Y. And yes. a roping dummy, all it is is an old sawhorse. Right. <laughs> and then you just throw those loops now. Yeah, and you see the, the kids that are coming up, the 8, 9, 10-year-olds, they're throwing. Jeez, yeah. They're, they're throwing from 20 feet away and roping that dummy left and right. Yeah. Yeah, 20 feet's a pretty long shot for a young kid. But, yeah, yeah that's how they learn. And, yeah, I saw it right here at Spring Creek there a couple of years ago. Seven-year-old boy was team roping, running them right out of the box and heading them. Wow. <laughs> See, so there's some, there, there are some good cowboys coming back up. 
bet. Well, yeah. It's just whether they want to go out there and work. <laughs> well, that's the thing. Yeah, that, you know, and I've talked to these buckaroos out there, you know, they get out here and it's just not what they thought it was going to be. You know, you're not coming back afterwards or taking a shower and go to the restaurant and eating steaks and drinking and talking about what a great day you had, you know. You go home, you shoe a horse, you eat and you go to bed. <laughs> not not quite as romantic. It's not. There's, there's, yeah. <laughs> you're right there. <laughs> That was the other thing, reading your stories, that you guys had to do it all. You had to figure out how to uh, shoe your horse and trim your horse. Yes, and uh, a Texan and I will talk about that in Spanish Ranch Part 3. Okay. Yeah, and, and that's what he admitted. And it's not easy to get a Texan to admit that, that Nevada guys are good. <laughs> <laughs> but he said, you know, you guys do it all. You know, you start your own horses, you shoe your horses, you pack, you rope, you, you, you do whatever's called for. And those guys in the Southwest, like down there in that Arizona country, same thing. And those guys ride in rough country, rocky and steep and cactus and wild cattle. Oh, boy. <laughs> and when you're out on those big ranches, I bet those, those cattle were pretty, they were pretty squirty. Did, were they, were they kind of wildish, too? These cattle are brought to the ranch. They're brought home in the fall, and then they spend the winter on the feed ground being fed hay. Okay. And nowadays, they'll run them through the chute and vaccinate them for this and that. Now, on the desert outfits, where they stay out year-round, that's where those cattle get wild. Mm-hmm. And the sea punch has cattle like that. And you just handle those cattle differently. What you do is spot them first, and then <laughs> flip around get down low on a drawn and come up where you want to be and then start them. And don't don't be yelling and hollering and, and hope they go the right way. If they go the right way, it's easy. You just stay back off them. If they're going the wrong way, you better get in high gear because you gotta you got to bend them left or right. And then in the corral, they can get pretty wild, jump the fence and break things, and, you know, and then they'll get mad and charge your horse. So... You know, there's two sides to it. The cowboy likes the wild cattle because he doesn't have to push them. Right. Then again, it's wild cattle that can cause problems, tear things up. So it just depends on the outfit, you know, how they handle them. And so you're writing these stories and you're posting them on Facebook. Are you, uh, do you have any plans for more stories down the line? Oh, now these stories you're reading now, John, see, these were all written a few years ago. I noticed that, yes. And Facebook wasn't around then. Posted them on the Buckaroo Guide and uh, the Reverend Buckaroo. Uh -huh. And I was just, see, I was new at the game. I didn't know what was, what was out there, you know, as far as the Internet went. So I was just posting stories, sharing with the Cowboys. And then Facebook came along. And what, you, what you're reading now are reruns. <laughs> Somebody contacted me a little bit ago and, hey, let, you know, let me see some of your stories. You know, I'm missing them. That's all I'm doing now is just, just you know. Do you have any plans for some fresh stories? Well, what I do now, and I'll say in, not not the stories you're reading now, but I'll say I've got to get out of this marathon writing stuff. And it's so much easier on Facebook. Take a camera, take some pictures, write a paragraph or two, post it, and that's it, and move on. And I get lots of requests that, you know, you really should write a book. Well, I have no intention of writing a book. And how am I going <laughs> to write a book? It's The story's not over yet. As far as I'm 
and and then you make references. It's like the old um, Sherlock Holmes stories I read. They'd always talk about a case that that he had never written a book about. You you told the the story. I'm gonna have to tell the story of Trout Lake. I think it was <laughs> and, Trout Creek. Uh, Trout Creek. Trout, Trout Creek. Yeah. Right. And I was like. <laughs> Oh, I wonder what that story is. And my mind starts going, oh, I wonder what he was doing at Trout Creek. Yeah, that was a good one. That was with the pack horse of Skeeter and Bill. Have have I introduced them to you yet? Yes, I was Skeeter and Bill. They're uh... Okay. Okay, well, that was that was Skeeter and Bill with a saddle horse called Dollar Bill. And I never wrote the story. And it's too bad. That would have been a good one. And then uh, years later, we had a horse. We bought him as a two-year-old. And I started him a big black horse called Magic. And that would have been a great story. And I had it all worked up in my head, and I never got around to writing it. But to be truthful with you, I don't. You know, I don't want to get into those big stories anymore. <laughs> Are those, so they're just, they're long stories? Oh, yeah. Are they? Yeah. Well, you know, one, I think one the, these days in the future, we should just sit down and I'll, you know, let you tell that story through the microphone. I think that would be a great way to do it, and you wouldn't have to worry about... Writing it down. <laughs> yeah, writing it down and punctuation and all that other nonsense. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, we'll see. Okay. <laughs> no, but my, you know, like I, I talked about it, but I'd been in my cave for 34 years and never talked about it. Well, that's all true. Uh-huh. And then finally, you know, people kept saying, you really should write this down. You really should write this. Well, I've written it down. I didn't get it all, no, but my conscience is clear. You know? <laughs> And like I say, I'm not a journalist, and I'm not a—I'm certainly not a historian. You know, we did what we had to do, and that's all we did. And they're doing the very same thing today. Right. Mm-hmm. It's basically the same. A little, a little tweaks here, but what do you expect? Forty-five years later, there ought to be a tweak. Right. Yes. There yeah. should be improvements. Yeah. Sure. After you stopped Buckaroon and you you worked for the uh, Nevada Department of Transportation, did you still cowboy on the side? On yeah, the sure. We lived at Jigs, which is just a little place south of Elko. Mm-hmm. And there was a bar and a gas station. Well, not a gas station, a gas pump, <laughs> which is now closed. But there was an elementary school there. See, Nevada still has rural schools, one-room schoolhouses. Huh. So the lean tot taught grades one through eight in jigs and then that's where we lived so i'd i'd, I'd on weekends yeah, i'd help those help those guys down there in jigs so yeah i always had my hand in it you know i just wasn't riding at that that level anymore every day and being out on those camps like that very good elko is the home of the cowboy poetry event isn't it yes ma'am it is and yes, are you involved with that at all much? Well, in the last four or five years, I've been a volunteer. The first time, tried it as a bartender, and I'm not smart enough to be a bartender. <laughs> oh, yeah, they were telling me, you know, kinds of booze I'd never heard of. I oh, those drinks are complicated. <laughs> oh, boy. So then the next year, I was a doorman, and I didn't like that. So the last three years, I've been a uh, shuttle bus driver. I drive around from uh, the Western Folklife Center. It's the old Pioneer Hotel. I drive people from there up to the convention center. And then they use me to take the entertainers to the uh, radio stations for interviews. Oh, oh well, I bet that's fun. And most of the people 
well, like 99.5% of them, they never heard of me. They don't know who I am, so they don't ask any questions. So we just, <laughs> I just ask them where they're from, how do you like Alco, blah, blah, you know. But I think, doesn't uh, Waddy Mitchell go? Oh, yeah, he was, he's one of the big big founders of that, yeah. That's... I think I read a story where you cowboyed with him, didn't you? Yeah, Circle A. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, he was the first one. Uh, the ranch manager took me out to the wagon. They were camped at Calico. It was right after 4th of July. So most of them weren't back from town yet. See, the 4th of July and Labor Day are your two mandatory times when when you get sent to town to go party. <laughs> you might work Thanksgiving Day. You might State work law. Day, you might work New Year's Day. But but Fourth of July and Labor Day, you, you're in town. Anyway, the ranch boss took me out to the wagon, which is about ninety miles from from the ranch. And uh, there was a guy, that old guy there, uh, and his wife. She was a cook. Stub Stanford was his name, and he told Waddy, "Well, you and Bill get a couple saddle horses and trot over there." about five miles away and bring those other horses in, and that way Bill will have some horses. So Waddy and I took off trotting, and that desert at that time was a, a flyover for B-52s. They dropped down below 300 feet, see, and that way they're out of radar. Oh, wow. Ah. So <laughs> we're going along, and we're trotting along there, just, you know, things are going good, and the shadow of this B-52 flew right over oh. my horse. It kind of spooked me. But, you know, he didn't stampede or buck or anything. And then I noticed uh, a survey marker. It was a, you know, a steel post uh-huh. sticking out of the ground about two feet. And I thought, my word, a B-52 shadow passes over me. This horse could have bucked me off and impaled me on that steel post. What am I, what am I getting myself into? Welcome to the cowboy life right yeah, there. Welcome to the brush, yeah. <laughs> How did Waddy's horse to handle it? Well, I don't remember. It might not have passed over his horse, or whatever it was. It was it was no big deal, you know. I just noticed because my horse kind of grabbed himself, but that was it. I can imagine that's your first day out on the job. And oh, you're... oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that's the only time shadows ever passed over me. <laughs> Riding under a B fifty two. Well, we really appreciate you taking time out of your schedule and giving us a little bit of a glimpse into the old buckaroo life. Uh, it's been a lot of fun. It has. Thank okay. you, Okay, well, thank you. But it's been a lot of fun. I love hearing the stories of the old days, and I am you know, wish one day we'd get to ride together. I think that'd be a lot of fun, too. Sure, you bet. Thanks so much, Thank Bill. you, Bill. You betcha. Thank you. If you, if you enjoyed these stories, you can find out more about Bill Mooney and follow him on Facebook. Just look for Bill Mooney Moonman. Use the Apple Podcast app to subscribe to the Woe Podcast and you'll never miss an episode. You can also subscribe on Google Play, Stitcher, and iHeartRadio. They're all free. And all the shows are available at woepodcast.com, too. And we talk to a lot of trainers. If you have a question about your horse and want some free advice, you can leave your questions on our listener line at 661-368-5530 or email me at john at woepodcast.com. The Woe Podcast is produced by John and Renee Hare with occasional research support from Robin Kane and support from our listeners. If you would like to support the show, visit woepodcast.com 
and click on that Patreon button. Please visit wopodcast.com and sign up for our emails to stay up to date. Have a suggestion for a guest, a comment? Email me at john at wopodcast.com. That's our show for today. Thanks so much for listening. And sharing our podcast. Until next time, go have some fun with your horses. Bye-bye, everybody.